you know, you could get into a space which is, oh, everything's so scary in the hospitals right now. I don't want to approach this family and uh, offer them donation for their loved one who just passed because they can't even be by their loved one's side. Remember, there was a time period where people were dying in hospitals and the lo- their loved ones weren't allowed into the hospital, whether they were COVID or COVID-related or not. Um, so there could have been a mentality to say, you know what, let's let them deal with their grief. We will not bring up organ donation. But we know, we know the power of organ donation. And we know that organ donation doesn't just heal the recipient. We know that if their son was able to donate organs and save someone else's life, that that would help Uh, But it was hard because conversations that they're used to having in person, they are now having over the phone. And we both know um, that that's just not the same thing. You don't, you can't extend a hand. You can't give a hug. You can't uh, watch body language. You can't get any, you know, facial cues. Um, So it is, it is a more challenging uh, ask. Hello and welcome to Year of the Pivot on the Beyond Networking Podcast. This season, we're learning from individuals and organizations who made monumental shifts in 2020 in order to keep their business alive and continue their mission. I'm your host, Brian Miller, an author, speaker, and consultant on human connection. Today's guest is Elise Glennon. Elise is the founder and executive director of the New Jersey Sharing Network Foundation. The New Jersey Sharing Network is a nonprofit organization for the recovery and placement of donated organs and tissues. It's important work. The foundation where Elise presides is dedicated to increasing the numbers of lives saved through research, family support, public awareness, and education. Now, there are 4,000 people on the New Jersey list alone awaiting a transplant. So when COVID threatened the entire national healthcare system, Elise and her team of 180 committed professionals, plus volunteers, had to navigate incredibly shaky seas. The big question was, would donations plummet? Which would devastate the chances of everyone on that list who desperately needed a transplant. Not on Elise's watch. Instead, the New Jersey Sharing Network had a record year. And in this conversation, Elise teaches us precisely how they did it. Now, you might be tired of hearing about mindset shifts in like the self-help community, but Elise and her team are proof that it is often the mindset, not the tactics or techniques that carry the day. In particular, pay close attention to how she describes the process of asking grieving families for an organ or tissue donation and the shift from viewing that conversation as a burden to recognizing it as a gift. Check the show notes for all the ways to connect with Elise and the New Jersey Sharing Network. Head to yearofthepivot.com for the Pivot Power newsletter, get notified when a new episode drops, the Pivot Pearl of the Week, and gain access to exclusive live streams, masterminds, and clubhouse get-togethers. And now I bring you Elise Glennon. This episode was made possible by Riverside.fm. 
Capture full, high-quality, raw audio and up to 4K video natively and without any internet interruptions. That's right, even if the internet blips out during the live call, your recording remains pristine. Head to Riverside.fm for your free trial and a big thank you for sponsoring Year of the Pivot. Elise, let's just get started because we're already having a nice conversation. And then there's that awkward, how do we just start the interview cold moment? Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time. I can't imagine um, how busy and how chaotic your life must be, both personally and professionally. So thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thrilled to be here with you, Brian. So why don't we start here just this week, right now, this weekend? Like, what are you working on right now? What's on your plate like this moment? Well, we just finished a couple of things. Um, We at the Sharing Network just completed a year, as everybody has, a a year here where uh, we're responsible for organ recovery uh, for transplant. And we are just now wrapping up kind of all of our year-end numbers, see how we fared during what was obviously and what continues to be a crazy time during the pandemic and how that has impacted organ and tissue donation. So right now what we're doing is we're looking at all of those numbers and we we did end up um, breaking records in 2020, um, incredibly. Incredibly, people were very generous uh, with organ donation and more people gave than ever before. So we're right now looking at um, kind of pushing that messaging out Uh, from the organ donation side. Um, Simultaneously, we have a foundation, and that is what I'm the executive director of. And so we're looking at how our philanthropic efforts fared in 2020 um, and how we need to, you know, the name of your project, the Pivot Project, how we really need Mm -hmm. to pivot in 2021 because from a philanthropic standpoint, uh, the the landscape has dramatically changed in, in how we have to do our work. So right now we're really looking at what worked and didn't work in 2020 with the new world we're living in and how we can plan uh, to kind of get back on track for 2021 in the future. Wow. So congratulations on the organ donations being up. I mean, is that something anybody expected? Did you expect that a year ago, March, April, when this all started? Um, Absolutely not. In fact, last, uh, about last May, uh, even our transplant centers had to temporarily shut down because of the increase in COVID patients and patients on ventilators and the overrun hospitals. Um, They did have to shut down transplants for a short period of time. Um, Combine that with the fact that any COVID-19 patients patient who passed away was an automatic rule out for organ donation, we, we never could have expected that with those two factors that we would still end the year um, with more organ donors than ever before. So that's really a tribute to two, two or three, a couple of things. It's a tribute to the donors themselves and their families who made that courageous decision at the time of their passing. Uh, it's a tribute to our highly trained and effective and compassionate and dedicated team members uh, who work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and straight through COVID. So they did not um, give up during that time. And a tribute to the partnership we have with our hospitals and transplant programs. So it's kind of everybody working together to ensure that despite that, that those issues in 2020, that we would still focus and and get folks transplanted. So to answer your question directly, no, we would not have expected that last year at this time. I mean, it's just, that's just unbelievable. And I want to dive more into that as, as, as we go on. Um, 
let's then back up to to March of 2020 uh this is now january 2021 when we're having this conversation so we're starting to we're starting to actually creep up on a year of of pandemic which is kind of wild uh i i had that moment the other day where a year ago next week in just about a week is when i got my first cancellation as uh, from covid i actually got a cancellation from covid for an event i was supposed to be speaking at in january of 2020 uh which was you know, once everything happened, months later, when we actually all found out about it for real, I remember, he, you know, hearing politicians and go that, that didn't seem like they knew this was coming going, well, I knew this was coming in January because I had a canceled event. So how did, how did other people not know this was coming? Uh, so in March, I think for me, it was like March 13th, March 14th was like the day the world ended, crashed, seemed like it was going to end forever. Um, what immediately happened for you at the sharing network uh you know what and you know what i just realized give us the, quickly give us your actual in your own words your role what the sharing network does because anybody listening watching this will have heard my two sentence intro already but g- give us the, the the pr pitch sure well we at the sharing network we are responsible for saving lives through organ and tissue donation so we are open all of the time like i said before 24 7. Um, hospitals call us when someone passes away in their hospital and our staff assess the patient's viability for transplant Um, our staff talk with families about the opportunity for organ donation and saving someone else's life. And then our nurses, our donation coordinators, our surgical technicians follow the patient all the way through the donation, um, work with our transplant centers to ensure a good match for that organ. Um, And then we continue to work with the families beyond the donation, uh, offering family services, uh, programs to uh, remember their loved ones all year Mm -hmm. through. Um, so we're, we, we continue to work with the donors' families, and uh, it's really uh, an extension of our mission to keep their legacy alive. Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, uh, and you are the executive director, is that right? I'm the executive director of our foundation. So we do also have a philanthropic arm that raises money and works with community organizations. And I'm the executive director of that, that arm of our organization. Right. And just briefly, how, how did you come to that? Uh, about 11 years ago, uh, uh-huh. almost 11 years ago, I came here to start our foundation. This organization previously hadn't had a foundation, hadn't reached. Oh, wow. Oh, you, you found you founded it. I founded our foundation. Yes. Wow. My goodness. Yes. The Sharing Network has been handling organ procurement um, since the 80s. Um, there is a fee for service and there's a fee between the transplant programs and, in in fact, between health insurance companies and things like that when someone needs a transplant. But our CEO, his name is Joe Roth. He's been here over 20 years. And when he came here 20 years ago, he said, you know, we really need a foundation. We need a philanthropic arm that could raise money to pay for programs to further educate the public, to further transplant in ways beyond just you know, paying for the actual transplant. So it was really his vision. And I came on board 11 years ago to, to get that started. Wow. That's, that's, that's awesome. And and it's so rare too, these days to hear somebody who's been in the same role, um, essentially for, for that long, for, for a decade or or more, let, let alone for like a year anymore. You know, it's just, it's, it's, uh, I, I wonder if, if, uh, kind of the new generation coming up kind of Gen Z that's coming into the workplace now, if they'll ever have 
careers like that where they stick around a place for a long time. It feels like it's a it's a almost a bygone era. So kudos to you for for sticking it out and uh, and being able to then go deeper with one place and make the work better and better and better and better. Right. Well, it's an interesting note about our employees here. We have about 180 employees, and I don't know the exact average tenure, but it is long. Um, it's really an honor and a privilege to do this work that we do. Very few people have the opportunity to do it. In New Jersey, we're the only organ procurement organization. So you have 180 uh-huh jobs here in New Jersey to do this work. So it really is an honor to work here, especially with the the donors' families and the transplant recipients. So you'll see people of all ages here have, you know, they end up sticking around, but it is very unique. Yeah. I'm glad you, you noted that. So, okay. So now, now we're back up to March of 2020. So the we're watching, you're watching the news, things start to crumble. The first lockdowns go in place and you're, you're in Jersey. I'm in Connecticut, which means we're, we're, we were both kind of in the outskirts of the hot spot here on the East coast when it all hit, which was, and so what happened first for you personally, but as, as specifically as related to the foundation and the work that you do, what was the first thing that happened that you had to deal with? What was going through your head? Um, well, it was March 10th when our senior leadership was on a phone call saying that on March 12th is our monthly all staff meeting where we get all 180 people in the building. And we were talking about maybe we shouldn't do that this Thursday. And some of us, myself included, were like, why not? But, you know, (laughs) and so luckily, you know, you know, smarter heads prevailed and we canceled our staff meeting that week. I remember that on March 11th, we were having an advisory board meeting of our transplant surgeons, and we said, well, we could use that thing called Zoom. It was the first time I ever heard the word Zoom, Um, the first time. So we said, well, try to use that thing called Zoom. So we didn't have them come here, but the senior leadership, we still were here in the building, but we, we sat apart from one another in the room, and we had the advisory board meeting via Zoom. Um, Wow. Personally, that Saturday, my husband and I said, let's take a walk up to the main avenue in Caldwell, where we live, see what's happening there. And we saw the local the local pub trying to have a little St. Patrick's Day gathering, which was interesting. Uh, very mm-hmm. few people there. Um, and then the next week, we started to talk about our upcoming events. We hold a 5K celebration of life annually that mm-hmm. attracts 12,000 people. Uh, we hold wow. two of them, one in May that attracts about 5,000 and one in June that attracts, that, that, that attracts about 12,000. So we right away started to say, what are we going to do about that? We knew that the, the work of organ procurement and transplant would continue. We knew that you know, we are part of the healthcare fabric of this country and that would continue. Um, but are we going to, what are we going to do about these events that attract thousands and thousands of people? Um, I would say probably beginning of April, we made the decision, um, to cancel the May event and postpone the September event, excuse me, the June event to September, which mm-hmm. obviously we did not hold, <laughs> But right. at the time, we thought it was going to be just, you know, just a couple of months. So we really got yeah. into kind of that mode. We we also, through our foundation and through the sharing network, we hold dozens of events every week in person. Um, we have hundreds of volunteers. So we had to quickly change how we communicated with them, how we promoted our message um, to the general public, 
like I said, which was largely through programming and events. So we, we mm. became Zoom experts instantly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the first, it was interesting what you said, though, the, that you weren't worried about the, you weren't concerned about the work of organ donation continuing because you're in the hospitals and you're in, that's work that has to continue. It was the, I don't want to say the fringe, but it was the it's the whole culture surrounding the actual organ donation itself that that was you were worried about falling apart. Right. Like like the all, all the in person, all the 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 support, the the I don't know that what the the excitement, the groundswell, the energy. Is that yeah, what you were worried community about? Community building, all of that. One of our board members called it yeah. the magic of what we do, you know, coming together. Yeah. But I don't want to say we weren't worried about the other. I mean, we were very worried getting everybody their pers- their protective equipment, making sure the staff stayed, stayed safe. Uh, for example, we we put in place that uh, only the clinical teams were allowed in our facility so that we could reduce mm. the number of people that were coming into the building to keep them as safe as possible. You know, we, we mm. instituted new cleaning protocol, all of those things. So it wasn't that we, we weren't um, worried about it. I just want to choose, you know, make sure I'm saying yeah. the right words. We were very worried about it. And we had whole teams in place to address uh, COVID and safety uh, and make sh- making sure our staff was safe, both in our facility, because we do also have a 24-hour lab here and a 24-hour call center. Those areas had to be staffed. And then keeping our staff safe inside the hospital. So there was that whole component um, to keep that to keep that moving and making sure people don't get sick. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, 180 people you said earlier, right, about on uh, working throughout. I mean, that h- how many of them did you actually roughly did you keep? Ha- have to or choose to keep on site versus how many had to start doing remote work? Um, let's see. I would say maybe 40 or so people would stay on site here. And then the folks yeah. that would go to the hospitals, they have to stop here to get supplies, but they're, you know, they'll be in and out. Sure. Um, so yeah. it was a small so, I mean, That That's a big difference between a kind of the bustle, the hustle bustle and energy of having 180 people around versus having 30 or 40 people in the same space and not being able to really hang out, you know, in break rooms and stuff like that. Right. I mean, did you, did you witness uh, a culture change? Did you have to make um, active moves to, to make sure the people who weren't in the building anymore still felt like part of that community? Like you mentioned earlier, this badge of honor, did they, what did you have to do with that? I mean, was that was that on your mind? Absolutely. We we ensured first of all that everyone uh, on our team was equipped at home with with the equipment that they needed. So everybody, you know, yeah. if you needed your printer, if you needed your scanner, whatever you needed yeah. to be comfortable at home, especially once we realized this wasn't going to be just a two week at home order. When we realized mm. this was going to go on, um, and then we started new programming through Zoom. Made sure everybody had access to that. Uh, various team building things via Zoom. Um, you know, we've always communicated uh, via electronically because of the nature of our work and the clinical teams that are out on the road and not everybody's always here uh, all the time anyway. Um, but really trying to stay engaged also not only with our staff members, but also with the, the extended team, which is our volunteers, our hundreds of volunteers who also were mm. used to coming to our building regularly for various programming. Um, and seeing people and and feeling the yeah. love and the care, uh, you know, of the whole the sharing network. 
keeping volunteers engaged in a normal world is a monumental task. I mean, for most organizations. I mean, so I'm really curious about that. What you talked about team building, which is one of those, uh, you know, one of those necessary evil terms that we all have to use. I have to use that in the descriptions of my programs too and stuff, you know, I don't even know what team building really is anymore. Uh, so, I mean, what did, what kind of team building or events uh, virtually, just out of curiosity, did you find really did um, help your team? Were you focused on making sure that they were reminded of the shared mission? Were you focused on um, let's take time away from the work to remember that we're all human? I mean, what worked for you? Uh, we did a little bit of both. We did things yeah. like, you know, one one morning we did come to the Zoom with your with a coffee cup that you're going to like talk about, you know, what's on the coffee cup, um, all the way yeah. to having guest speakers on our Zoom yeah. staff meetings, which we always did in person. Um, mm. But now having them come on the Zoom and share their story of donation mm. or transplant um, with our ah. team. So continuing That's to great. do that. Uh, so it's a little bit of both. You know, we have yeah. such a powerful mission that it's uh, – People know why they're they're here. It's one of these kinds of missions that uh, we don't have to really hammer home. You meet one heart transplant recipient, or you meet one living kidney donor, or you meet the family of someone who died and donated their organs. The stories are incredibly inspirational, uh, and they kind of live on in your in your mind and your daily. That's that's great. So okay, so you things started to fall apart. You had to figure out how to shift remote for a good portion of the staff. Uh, you figured out how to get them, you know, what they needed, printers and all that stuff. You made sure the people were taken care of and safe in-house. But then the mission itself, organ donation, you've still got this, you know, like we started this conversation with, how how are we going to continue to get organ donations? Is it going to be down massively? What's the long-ranging impact? I'm sure you were thinking about of if we have this year where we're down 90% or something crazy. Because, I mean, I don't know, like, a lot of people I talk to, like instantly, like 90% of their business was gone. 100% of their business was gone, you know, in many industries overnight, right, in March. Um, so how did you get from there to, we're talking now in January, and you had, you were up. You had your best year, and it's just—it's unbelievable. How did you, how did you get here? Um, I—it was a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication from the staff, um, a lot of planning, regular conversations with the the senior leadership team, the clinical directors, or on daily huddles to make sure they had the right staffing. Uh, you know, enough staffing to go out into the hospitals. It was it was kind of all hands on deck all the time, looking at the numbers, um, you know, assessing patients, trying to stay on top of, really staying on top of COVID, um, how our hospitals were doing, how the general population was doing, um, you know, doing all of those things, doing all of those things. And from a, from a general um brand or, you know, widespread notion of what is organ donation, kind of keeping that going. Um, we were very lucky last year that the, the chairman of our 5K Celebration of Life happens to work for a, a company who does worldwide online conferences. So <laughs> he right away came to us and said, we could still do our 5K virtually and we could use this platform and I will donate my my time and my staff's time to run a virtual program for you, for us, for the 
the sharing network. So we did that. Um, in May, we, we ran a, an hour-long program um, with just uh, he and I in a studio, and we had our teams and our, our you know transplant recipients and donor families send in their stories. We ran an hour-long program that, turns out, was viewed internationally because they used a very robust system where we can track who was watching from where. Um, mm-hmm. and we had uh, over a thousand people tuning into this to this program from all over the world, which was something different that we have never had to get before. You know, is isn't that interesting that that COVID ended up in so many industries? In uh, kind of to borrow a phrase from my mentor uh, Seth Godin, from from turning it kind of turned the world into the neighborhood where all of a sudden your mission where you used to be able to reach deeply reach, but reach New Jersey, essentially like your network, um, all of a sudden somebody in some other country halfway across the world, you would have never had contact with before can get on board with your mission now that you could have done that two years ago, but you never would have thought to or exactly. had a reason to try. And it just, it just goes mm-hmm. now. Yes, absolutely. And we, we've now we said, well, now, even when we're back in person, we're going to have to have this virtual component because, yeah. you know, folks were interested, yeah. right? 18 different so, countries tuned in. So. so so, you do now have plans that even if even if somebody waved their magic wand and said, you know, COVID's gone, the world is safe, it's all good, you would continue doing, having a virtual component to, to your work from now on? Most likely, yes. That's the kind yeah. of what we're in the process of thinking about right now. I mean, right now, we're really trying to just focus one year at a time. Normally, we try to do longer term planning, yeah. but still where we are, it, it's hard to know. So right now, we have moved our, our typical June date to September. So we thought we'll give ourselves a little more time. Uh, we do hope that we can gather in person in some capacity in September by September, um, in a you know in a safe way. Um, but we are yeah. only going to hold one event. Normally we hold two. But we're just going sure. to hold one. Um, and as of right now, we will likely have a virtual component to that, knowing that some yeah. people may or may not still feel comfortable to come out, and knowing that there's people around the world who want to tune in and see their their loved ones and their family members. Um, so we, we will do that. So that's where we're, we're going with now. Um, as of right now, we do have dates for 2022 to go back <laughs> to the spring and go back to our two dates. Um, and, and that's, yeah. you know, that's our goal. That's what we're hoping for. Yeah. So I just before I do kind of the the couple of questions that I ask everybody at the end here, I want to double back and kind of double down on in a covid world with everybody being nervous about everything. And and what kinds of things were your staff working on in those conversations? Is it was it was it trust building? What I'm trying to get at is I, I know your staff worked really hard and you guys had hit your mission, but like, to you know, specifically, like what were they doing in those conversations with the donors at the hospitals? You know, what what was the goal in that uh, of those kind of conversations? Uh, what kind of maybe training were you doing with them or retraining for a covid world that was able to turn out so many more donations than you could have ever expected or hoped for? Well, I think the main thing is to not um not give up on it, not think that, you know, I, I, you know, you could get into a space which is, oh, everything's so scary in the hospitals right now. I don't want to approach this family and uh, offer them donation for their loved one who just passed because they can't even be by their loved one's side. Remember, there was a time period where People were dying in hospitals and the, their loved ones weren't allowed into the hospital, whether they were COVID or 
COVID related or not. Um, so there could have been a mentality to say, you know what, let's let them deal with their grief. We will not bring up organ donation. But we know, we know the power of organ donation. And we know that organ donation doesn't just heal the recipient. Because remember, we're working on behalf of there's 4,000 patients currently waiting for a transplant in New Jersey. So we know that there's still those, tr- those patients waiting for a transplant. And we also know that while someone may have just lost their son, we know that if their son was able to donate organs and save someone else's life, that that would help or help the healing of the parents to know that their son is living on in someone else. So it's really kind of a mindset to know and really believe in our mission and believe in organ donation. And and our staff is there, but working together every day, um, our clinical directors who are on call and speak regularly all day with our nurses and our, and our uh, donation coordinators who are in the hospital to continue to remind them why they're doing this, um, remind them that it's helpful for the families and we want to be able to offer donation. Um, you know, it's more of that kind of mindset to just keep going and not let anything stop us. Uh, but it was hard because conversations that they're used to having in person, they are now having over the phone. And we both know um, that that's just not the same thing. You don't, you can't extend a hand, you can't give a hug, you can't right. uh, watch body language, you can't get any, you know, facial cues. Um, so it is, it is a more challenging uh, ask, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but they worked on that and they trained and, you know, I'm speaking on behalf of our clinical director sure. here. I wasn't in these particular conversations, but, uh, yeah. you know, I certainly know, know the staff and, and know how dedicated they are. As it sounds like it really was, um, a top level mindset shift from, from, uh, this conversation I want to have as a burden to this conversation I'm going to have as a gift. Yes, uh, you hit right? it. That's exactly it. That is exactly yeah. it. I had a moment there where you were talking about, you know, well, there was a time in COVID when, you know, people, whether they were COVID or not, couldn't even go to the hospital. Yeah, my my grandmother passed two weeks into lockdowns in March. Um, she had just gotten sick in January out of nowhere. She was in completely perfect health. We we thought she was, I thought she was going to outlive me. I mean, this this woman was in perfect health, walking eight miles a day, every morning, seven days a week at 85 years old, and then um, had a brain tumor out of nowhere. And within two months, that was it. I mean, went from totally fine, nothing's wrong to gone. But she passed two weeks into lockdowns when nobody was allowed. So my grandfather, he wasn't allowed to go to the hospital with her. So he wasn't there when she passed. Um, We never had a funeral. We never saw her. I didn't get to hop on a plane when we knew it was coming. And yeah, there were no conversations and we didn't have anybody reaching out. It was just such chaos, um, you know, so to have somebody from an organization like yours, you know, be able to say, in spite of all this, you know, here's this thing that can still be meaningful and leave a legacy and do more. And, and, and you know, that's that is a gift. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That, I'm sorry to yeah. hear uh, about your grandmother oh, and, you. and particularly yeah. that she passed during COVID and you had to experience it in that way. Um, yeah. You know, another, you you just made me think of something. Another 
issue that we're experiencing right now is, is the donor family, so they lose someone, um, they say yes to organ donation. In a pre-COVID world, that family would then be invited to our facility to see our memorial garden. That family would then be invited to a remembrance event. That family would meet transplant recipients who, even if it wasn't their transplant recipients, would be hugging them and thanking them. And we cannot offer that right now to donor families. So they're not here. Their, their, their loved ones' names are etched on our walls. We install these names every three months and we invite families to come in. And we are not allowing any guests in our building and our facility right now. So there's a whole component of what we call aftercare, donor family aftercare, that we are unable to to do in the manner that we've done it in the past because, mm. you know, caring for someone over Zoom is is very, very different. So we are really looking forward to the day when when we can kind of open up again and bring everybody together. Even our 5K. Our 5K is largely attended by by family members of deceased mm. organ donors and their friends, and it's an opportunity for people to come out yeah. and celebrate their life. So without that, you know, the, the, there's some things we're, we're missing out on. Um, in yeah. sharing. So we look, we're looking forward to restarting that. Yeah, I can see, I, I can, I can see that you're just, you're, you're excited about, even if it's 2022, you're just, you're already there in your head. You're, you're, you're waiting for it. So, okay. Uh, Elise, I've got a couple, uh, just three questions that I end everything with. They're relatively short kind of categorization questions uh, to, to wrap this up. The first one is the hardest, as I've discovered for people over dozens of these interviews in the last few months. So feel free to take your time, pause, think about it. Uh, any extended awkward pauses I'll cut out of the podcast or the video. Uh, so feel free to take a second. Uh, first question, how would you describe your 2020, your year of the pivot? How would you describe 2020 in one word? Well, the the first word that came to my mind was life changing. I'll call that one word. We'll give you that. We'll we'll give you we'll give you a hyphen in the middle of that life changing one word. Okay, I'll buy that. That's a that's a good one. What characteristics or personality traits of yours would you say were crucial to your um, survival, let alone your success this year in in terms of in the capacity of the work that you do? What of which of your personality traits were crucial to your your uh, survival and, and success? I think first and foremost, my I am a very positive person. I always have a positive outlook. On any personality test, I score through the roof on positive, you know, uh, those those types of categories. Um, uh, and so I think that that really that really helped. And I'm always, you know, trying to look at the positives of things. Now, that being said, I'm I'm very well aware of the the tragedies that has have happened over the past year and and i am not in any way oblivious to it and i periodically feel a little guilty when i think of the quote unquote positives that have come out of the world slowing down um so but that is for sure what got me through both personally and at work i mean we had to maintain uh, the positive outlook for our fundraising events and maintain kind of that that forward thinking like this is, you know, we're going to be able to do it um, where there's a will, there's right. a way kind of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. So funny, as you were describing the posit the the positivity showing up, I was just imagining you taking one of those Facebook quizzes and it just giving you a, a bright yellow sun as the result. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't take those quizzes. They steal your information. Anyway, yeah. uh, I, I had a I had a cybersecurity expert on the podcast last season. So just just a PSA. Yeah. I'll cut thank that you. I'll cut that out of this interview. Um so so okay, last question. Uh and actually, you know before I do the last question. Where do you want people to go find you? Do you want people to connect with you um, as you across LinkedIn, socials? Do you want them to find the, the the foundation network? Both. Let me know anything, anywhere you want people to find you across anywhere. Okay. We would love people to go to our Facebook page, which is NJ Sharing Network. And we have a, a Twitter account at NJ Sharing. We are on Instagram. We are on Snapchat. We are on LinkedIn. We're on mm-hmm. all of those platforms. So yes, people definitely should reach out to us. And of course, we have our website, njsharingnetwork.org. Okay, lastly, what at this point, January 2021, what is your outlook on the future of your business, the New Jersey Sharing Foundation or your particular arm of it, the philanthropic end? What is your outlook on the future of your business at this point? Well, given my answer to my last question... <laughs> My outlook's very positive. Um, you know, of course we, it is. <laughs> we had a very strong 2020 from an organ procurement uh, perspective, and I see that you know that's continuing. You can see our our clinical teams are completely geared up, analyzing data and ensuring that we will continue to recover organs and get organs to those who need them. From our foundation perspective, again, I'm feeling very positive. Our community. Um, is reaching out to us via social media. They're calling us, they're emailing us, kind of people are getting, they're ready to go. And I'm looking forward to the cold weather passing by, warmer weather coming, and having the opportunity to hold some kind of gatherings um, in person, outdoor, you know, in, in a greater space, uh, and seeing our seeing our community again. Um, we do know that they're very supportive. We are seeing uh, donations, contributions um, mm-hmm. on the rise again. More people reaching out to us to make contributions, more sponsors uh, getting back involved with us. So I'm feeling very good about getting back on track this year. Listen, Elise, I really, really appreciate your time. I know how busy you are, and I really appreciate your uh, patience as we had a little technical problems getting started, little delay at the beginning of this, as is the world we now live in. So thank you for your patience with the with working that out. And uh, I'm just so excited to continue watching, you know, from afar, uh, your uh, the journey of of the the uh, the foundation and how you guys just keep doing awesome stuff. And I hope to, to stay in touch with you and, uh, and your journey as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 